I'm going to be looking at some Psalms. Uh, if we could turn maybe to Psalm 22. So it's ready. Um, I'm going to be talking about a number of Psalms. The subject I, I want to just speak about uh, fairly briefly because I don't intend to take the full 45 minutes that we've been taking because we are now finished our study um, portions and it's now just a um, free topic. And as some of you I know have had a pretty rough week and uh, haven't been sleeping very well, uh, I won't task you too much uh, this afternoon. We'll try and finish about quarter past twelve. <coughs> We've had a lovely time this morning, again, in the presence of God. The great thing about our remembrances are is uh, the belief that we have that we are a holy priesthood. And that what happens on a Lord's Day morning is that we, in spirit, ascend into the presence of Almighty God and that we come to him with our hands filled. We come with an offering. Now, because it's in spirit, it's a shadow or it's a, a, a more perfect uh, example of what went on in the Old Testament with animal sacrifices when there was a giving to God was done in a very specific uh, manual way uh, with actual animals and it had to be physically to go to a tabernacle or to the temple. Now, the period of time that we are in now, following on from the Lord, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we do is that our God accepts worship in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> and so we have the joy and as well as the responsibility of coming with our hands filled on a Lord's Day morning. It's something that's been said a lot and it, it probably needs, we keep needing to remind each other of the importance of making sure that our hands are filled. In the remembrance, it's a lovely opportunity, first of all, in your preparation and then in the coming together physically around the table to feel the ascension in spirit into the presence of God and then to follow the, the giving of brethren with the Amen. It's always, I think, lovely when you hear sisters referring to the remembrance as something that they slotted in with. And because it's spiritual, because it's spirit-led, then that sort of thing shouldn't be unusual. That um, although sisters are quiet in the remembrance, and although some brothers are quiet in the remembrance, if you've come with something to give, you can give it through the audible giving of the brother who stands up. And that is led by the Spirit. And so to be able to say the Amen and to be able to say, yes, that's the thoughts that I've had and that that's what I can add to in my mind uh, along the same theme is, is something that enhances the remembrance and, if you like, proves it. So that when you come away, although you've gone to give, 
you go away having received and you're filled. Now what I just want to talk about a little bit is one of the things that we focus on, and we did a bit this morning, is to focus on the cross. Because the cross is central to our theme of giving to God. Because what God wants from us is Christ. So when we're thinking about our hands being filled, our hands should be filled with Christ. And by that, I mean thoughts of Christ. We talk about giving thanksgiving. What are we thanking God for? We are thanking God for his son. We are thanking God for his plan of redemption. We are thanking God for our salvation. And it's all wrought in Christ. And so when we come together and we are talking to God and we are thanking God, we are focused on the Son of Man, the one who was born in a stable, and the one who gave his life in total obedience to his Father, the one who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice at Calvary, the one who went into death bearing our sin, the one who was raised up to live forever having overcome the power of death and of sin. And there's a verse in the Bible that says that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I always like to think that verse means the working out is the meditating on it, is the thinking about it, and is the contemplating of all that I am able to understand about the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is expressed, hopefully, in my thanksgiving, in my thoughts, in the presence of God. And I think that's something that we should all be attaining to, is that that is the working out is that that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to think. <laughs> that's simplistic, isn't it? He wants us to consider every aspect of the sufferings of Christ because it affects you and it affects me and it affects the outworking of our lives as Christians. It affects our giving. Now, I just very briefly want to... I was um, in Psalm 22. Um, it starts with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you flick right over to Psalm 31 and verse 5, you read, Into your hands I commit my spirit. I just want to think about that gap between the two, just very briefly. I'm just doing this as a, an appetite wetter uh, because there's 10 psalms involved and I'm certainly not going to have time in the next few minutes just to be going through 10 psalms. But there was a, a, a tradition, I, I only read about this very recently in a, quite an old book that I've got in my, in my study that um, 
that, that uh, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, there was a tradition that thought that, that the Lord Jesus, that when he cried out, and Psalm 22, although it's a psalm of David, it's an insight into the sufferings of Christ. And that was given to David. There's no doubt about it that some of the psalms and some of the experiences that David had uh, were God-given. And they allowed him insight into what the future sufferings of Christ were going to be like. And uh, he penned that. And of course the Lord uh, quoted it as confirmation uh, that he was in um, consolidating that, if you like, by quoting it. And when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a quote from Psalm 22. Now, the, 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 um, the tradition that I'm referring to was that some men, and this is not scriptural, it was just something that I think men dreamt up. And I want to emphasize that, that they thought that possibly when the Lord cried that out and quoted Psalm 22, that he went on quoting Psalm 23, 24, 25, right through to Psalm 31, verse 5, when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, that's a, a nice thought. <laughs> there is no scriptural proof of that at all. But it, it just made me think a little bit. And again, I believe it's God-given. It made me think, well, I wonder if that had happened, what would he have been looking at? And it made me go through these Psalms just to quickly consider them and to think that part of the possible thought process of Christ. Now that is a, an enormous task and, I, and I'm not for any, uh, any way sort of saying that I can, we can nail it right down. But I believe this is what the Lord God of heaven wants us to do in our meditation, is to be thinking about possible, possible thoughts of Christ. And when he did cry out, what was behind it? And so, it seems to me that if we, if we did take these 10 Psalms and try and follow them through, and I'll just try and briefly do this um, this afternoon, that um, let's just read, uh, first of all, Psalm 22. Uh, I'll read some of the verses. Reading from verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and am not silent. Verse 6. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And then over to 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. 
My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. These are just a few verses which are giving an insight that David penned. And you think, that didn't apply to David. This clearly applied to Christ. Now, it gives us a deeper insight when we're trying to understand and appreciate that what was going through the mind of Christ at that specific moment and time. And here you just see the, the horror and the suffering and the agony of Christ, of the loneliness of Christ. And there he is on the, the, the cross. He looks and he sees there's nobody to help him. His father has turned away and he's looking around and he just sees enemies everywhere. And he's in pain and he's in suffering. And here we're starting and if just looking at this section of Psalms between 22 and 31 of his lowest point. That here you're thinking, wow, this is Christ the man. He's suffering in a way that we can really struggle but we should struggle to try and understand what he's going through and what he's feeling and what he's thinking and that terrible loneliness why is it important for us to know that because we're working out our own salvation this is what it's cost for us to be free this is what it's cost for us to have eternal redemption and therefore it's important that we appreciate it. And it's important that our appreciation is seen in our service for God. That lowness, it, I think, was, if you were to put a banner over it all, it's the picture of absolute surrender to God. Because he's there and he's put himself in a position in order for God, his Father, to judge him for our sins and to punish him. And the horror of it all is just coming down on him. And he's on the cross and he needs help. You go on to Psalm 23. And that starts out the well-known psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't want to give me, you can go through this in your own time and, in, and discuss it and think about it. It's again as if the Lord and all his, his weighing down, his crying out, his loneliness, his pain and suffering, he then lifts a little bit. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, what is the picture here? Well, God is my shepherd. He leads. And that's how the shepherds did it in the, far, in the Far East, of course. They led the sheep. And here he is subjecting himself to the direction in which the shepherd wants him to go. And again, 
He's hanging on the cross. Why? Because of his subjection. And he wants, he knows, to follow God. So it's whatever God imposes, whatever God leads, wherever he goes, I will follow. And that psalm, if you go on and read it all, which is well known to you, is a, a psalm of the appreciation of the shepherd that is somebody who has subjected themselves and will just do what he's told. You go on to tw- Psalm 24, and it starts with, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? That was mentioned in the Thanksgiving this morning. Again, you just see, this is the Lord wrestling on the cross. And he's, again, as a man, he's considering, this earth is the Lord's. He made it all. Everything in it, that's all the people in it. And all the people that are doing these things to me, God created them. And therefore, he's founded it, he's established it. And then he says to himself, he's thinking about, who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? And it's again, it's an, a wonder, and again, this is sanctified speculation I mean the Lord is looking at it and he's thinking none of these people can ascend the holy hill of the Lord because it who can stand in his holy place well him who's got clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift his soul to an idol who is that there wasn't anybody And it's again, it's almost a realisation that Christ surely must have had. It's only me. I'm the only one that can do that. And again, it's maybe just the appreciation again in his thought process. I'm not just saying it just suddenly came on him. It was always with him. But again, in this horror of the situation, going through these Psalms, the realisation... I've got to go through with this because nobody is worthy. Nobody can ascend that holy hill. Nobody can go in to the presence of God except me. Therefore, I've got, I've got to go through this. I've got to fulfill this. On to chapter Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, in you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me For you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. It's just, again, the um, example of Christ for us. 
is to see the total subjection, the absolute surrender, that his hope is totally in God his Father. That he's, in, he's put himself in the position where he can do nothing. And he is being subjected to the punishment. And he lifts up his soul. Again, it, that is something, again, if you think about it, do you do that? It, it's always like a, a spiritual thing, but it's got a physicality to it. How do you lift up your soul? Have you ever felt you've done it? You're lifting up your soul to God. It's almost like a, in order to be able to get into tune with God at all, you've got to rise. <laughs> we, God comes down, of course, to us. Um, he has to meet us. But as I said, we have to lift. We have to rise. The recognition of where he is, who he is, and what's involved is it in our spirituality, in our meditation, in our study, we lift. Our soul needs to rise. And that is something that's almost it's tangible. It's not an airy-fairy thing that it might have happened or it might not. You know when it's happened. Psalm 26. <clears throat> starts with vindicate me O Lord for I have led a blameless life I have trusted in the Lord without wavering test me O God and try me examine my heart and my mind for your love is ever before me and I walk continually in your truth I do not sit with deceitful men nor do I consort with hypocrites hypocrites I abhor the assembly of evildoers Verse 8, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. I wonder, again, you know, that we have knowledge of, in the life of Christ, what his thoughts were of his father's house. Remember, as a boy of 12, he had already, at the age of 12, learned the appreciation of being where God was. He wanted to be there because that was already instilled in a 12-year-old boy, uh, the importance of being where God was. When he was on the cross, what do you think that thought process was? It was, if anything, magnified even more. <laughs> that the recognition that what he was doing was enabling people like us to be able to speak these words that David spoke and be able to associate with them and appreciate them. That um, can we say that about our spiritual lives, our Christian lives, that I love the house where you dwell? where your glory dwells. I think even in the suffering and the pain and the agony of Christ, 
he would have known fully what was the outworking of all this. What was going to be the result of all that he was going through. All the pain and the agony and the feeling of isolation, being like a worm, not a man, was just this thought, as he thought, that he was offering to the rest of us through this opening up of the way, the veil that was going to be torn, which he was going to go through, or the veil that was his flesh that we could go through in order to be able to appreciate the presence of God and to be able to enjoy the presence of God. It was all because of his suffering. And he, he loved the house. He loved it. And it's almost saying, I'm doing this for you. Will you love it? It's a sobering thought, really, because it's hard maybe for each one of us to to be able to say that continuously. I have this deep love for the house of God. I have this deep desire to be where God's glory dwells. Where is that? The place where he resides. The place where he wants his people to be together. And this priesthood service, this place which is a kingdom where he is the king and people subject to his rule, there he puts his, his name. That's something that's no little thing to be dismissed as unimportant. Because it was important to David. It was very important to Christ. And he died for it. He died for his house. And I think that, again, is motivating Christ (coughs) to overcoming the, the pain and the suffering of the cross. I'm running out of time. I'll just quickly uh, skip on. Um, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Again, just very quickly, he's frightened, but he's clinging on to the Lord, his God. There's nothing I can imagine more frightening than what Christ was going through at the cross. You and I go through things that are frightening. It's nothing like this, but the same applies. In our fear, we turn to God. Why? Because if he can save Christ, if he can bring him from the death, if he can overcome these things that he did in the person of Christ, raised him from the dead, then... He can do anything for us. We should trust him. Psalm 28. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. I'll leave that one. We can um, think about that as 
similar to 27. It's a recognition of calling up, crying out to God, don't forget me. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, Almighty Ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Even through the sufferings of Christ, even through our difficulties in life, this is what we should be attaining to. Attaining um, to the Lord what is his due. But in order to do that, you need to know what is his due. And again, it comes down to this appreciation, this understanding of the love of God, that through the sufferings of the cross, that was all done because of his love for us. And um, the result, to worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Did we feel that this morning? Was there a feeling of the splendour of his holiness in our presentation to God this morning? Hopefully there is. If not, it's something to strive to attain. Psalm 30, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me up out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. You brought me up from the grave. Now this is one where you think, well, this hadn't happened yet. But again, it's almost the assurance that's coming through here of Christ. And I would just like to think, you know, that when he was on the cross, did Christ doubt? I don't think he did. He couldn't do. And here, when you're thinking about this, that he knew he was going to die, he knew, but he trusted in his God. And he knew he would be raised from the dead. And then you go into Psalm 31, and... We finish up on verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it's almost as if this elevation or this ascension that I've been trying to pick up on, going through these many psalms, and a lot more you can get out of it, is uh, that he gets to the point where it's the point of death. He started at the bottom, um, crying out, where are you God, I'm all alone, I'm in terrible agony and he's climbed to the point ready to die and he says right into your hands I give you my spirit total surrender total subjection and the full knowledge that he's giving his life as his father is demanding it he's giving it into his hands and the full knowledge that it's secure in God Shall we pray?